With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Roll Bama Roll podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'll be joined by Brad Canning. Brad, Alabama went to Baton Rouge. They left with a 55-17 win. Just one year after Ed Orgeron was recorded saying they would beat Alabama on the recruiting trail and they would beat Alabama every time they see them. I know we like to exaggerate some, but I, honest to God, I think Alabama could have scored 80 to 90 points in that game had they set out to do so. The first quarter is the epitome of an example that they did what they wanted to do. And there's no doubt they took the foot off the pedal, but they still made a hell of a statement in Death Valley yet again. At halftime, halftime, Mac Jones had 338 passing yards, four touchdowns. Najee Harris had 118 rushing yards, two touchdowns. And Devontae Smith had 219 receiving yards and three touchdowns. They had a 300-yard passer, a 200-yard <laughs> receiver, and a 100-yard rusher in one half of football. Yep, going against DBU on the, the passing and the receiving. You know, I'm sure that's just all those quick slants and out routes. Uh, our buddy, Mark Burnett, he killed me. Uh, I don't know if you saw the tweet he had on that, that infamous catch that will forever be uh, in Alabama history of Devontae's. He said that was just a, a Mac. It was a perfect example of Mac going, F it. He's down there, Smitty down there somewhere, and just <laughs> chunking that up. <laughs> All right. So I saw a lot of this. And, and just over the past probably month or so, it's been is Devontae Smith the best wide receiver in school history? He might be. There's a lot you have to take into account because you got to go all the way back. Yeah. Like See? Don Hudson. Yes. Yeah. Right. And and that's kind of weird because it's like different time frames and stuff like that. But, okay, let's just say the Saban era. I, I mean, I know we had, okay, first of all, I had a bunch of people respond like this. If Julio Jones had played in this offense, who yeah. knows? You ain't never seen nothing like that. We never will. <laughs> so I'm not saying, like, Devontae Smith is a better receiver than Julio Jones. I, that's, not what I'm, that's not what I'm implying. But I think Devontae Smith has been head and shoulders better at Alabama than Julio Jones ever was. And a lot of that had to do, obviously, with the offenses that both play in. And truly how hard it was for him to make the decision to come back as well. Oh, yeah. A lot of people, that gets overshadowed. It's just the numbers is the numbers. Yes, I get that. But this dude consciously made the decision to come back. And I don't know how you get hired. You, You had such a small room to move up. But this guy has blown through that because he put in the work and he did what the hell he was supposed to do. Look, Cecil Hurt said it perfectly. Um, I don't know if you saw the tweet where he ranked basically the Alabama greats in terms of him. Don Hudson, Ozzie Newsom, Julio, Amari. This is one of the best. And that was yeah. right after Devontae's OBJ on DBU. <laughs> I mean, in all seriousness, like you have to put him on that list now. I agree. What he's done. I mean, there's there's just no denying it. Um, anyways, just go, going back to the, the Ed Orgeron comments from last season, too. Alabama currently has the top recruiting class in the country as well, so Ed was wrong on both accounts basically immediately. 
he has a uh, suspect track record because he uh, supports Hummers as a lead vehicle. So, <laughs> and as bad as the game was, it may be the least of LSU's troubles as far as long term damage through the last week or two. Like their program, Brad, oh. is uh, it's a it's imploding, and there, there's a lot to cover here. Okay, so this this is probably going to take a large yeah. chunk of our time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it's it's worth looking at how all of this has kind of unfolded. And, and some of it's just optics, but some of it is actually damaging. So first, they had the, the Terrace Marshall opt-out, which ultimately probably really doesn't matter. It, it's not like he was going to change anything for them for the remainder of the season. But still, your best player on offense basically quitting with two games left does not look good. And I, I can tell you this decision that you'll get to that came out this week, that, that's not something that was spontaneous. That was something that they've known for a, basically the whole season as a, something in their back pocket. And the players knew that too. And I think him stepping out with two games left is a little bit of a foreshadowing now that we know in hindsight. Yeah. So then the recruiting hits started. Two of their top targets left, Tristan Lee and Corey Foreman. Both of those guys are five stars, top 15 players in the country. Two guys LSU has felt pretty good about for a long time. Those two are suddenly seem to be trending elsewhere. There are now rumors about several of their top commitments looking around. Uh, Davis from California, he's a top 50 guy. He could end up decommitting. Nathaniel Wiggins looks to be on the verge of committing or decommitting. I'm sorry. He's one of the top corners in the country. Keanu Coat, he's an out, outside linebacker, D-end. He's top 75 on 24-7's rankings. He's possibly looking at Alabama. I don't know if I'm truly buying uh, his decommitment yet, but in the end, if they there's a couple others too, but if, if they whiff on the two big-time out-of-state five-stars and then they, they lose one or two of the guys I mentioned, LSU's class goes from being really good to maybe a class that kind of looks like it has pieces missing, in my opinion. Well, they're losing anchors because out-of-state, uh, five stars. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are not easy to come by. I don't care where you're at. And then you've already had somewhat of a track record of these people bailing ship. And you're in an era where everything's done via Zoom now. So you get left on red on an invite. <laughs> like, how does that happen? And yeah. at the end of the day, Wes, I think we both, we feel the same. You just, you, you really hate to see it. Uh, you do. And uh, I look forward to being told in the comments how terrible I am and all that. But it, it just, it's sad, man. I mean, we need Sarah McLaughlin out here singing LSU's program a song. <laughs> well, then you had the Eric Gilbert opt-out and possible transfer. If any of you are unfamiliar with uh, Eric Gilbert, he was the fifth-ranked overall player in the country last cycle. From my memory, he's probably the highest-ranked tight end in modern recruiting history. Barring something happening off the field, Gilbert is a first-round lock two years from now. I don't care where he transfers, he's going in the first round. He decided that he was homesick. I'm going to put that in quotations. He decided he was homesick. So, And where's his home? <laughs> yeah, in Georgia. Uh, Marietta, oh, Georgia. Uh, Edo said they'll, they'll try to re- re-recruit him. From what, what I've read on the LSU side, they seem to be they'll, – they'll be shocked to see him back. Seems to be maybe the LSU side thinks there was some tampering going on as well in uh in the state of Georgia. Wow. Well, Kirby would never do such things, so they gotta be talking about tech. So (laughs) (laughs) And the bad part about the Gilbert deal is that the entire recruiting world thought he was set on Alabama. 
everyone thought he was announcing for Alabama the day he committed. He truly shocked the recruiting industry by choosing LSU. And looking back on that decision, he could have been catching passes in the top offensive in college football. Instead, he chose what he chose. And here we are. So overnight and out of nowhere, LSU loses who I think was their top remaining offensive player after Marshall opted out. And after what they lost last year. I mean, yeah. really, you're, you're bone and barren already. Now what? I, I don't know. Who's left? It's uh, a mess. But, and, you're, you know, when you don't have that skill position, you don't have that developed talent, and you got a lot of question marks, you got to go old school. you got to go simple, methodical. This is not great for LSU. Well, yeah, and it's funny that you kind of ask who's left because a reporter on Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember what day it was, basically asked Ed Orgeron the same thing of, hey, how are you going to get out of this? His answer, which did not sit well with LSU fans, was we're going to be heavily relying on grad transfers next year. They're going to hit the portal, try to get grad transfers and fix this quick fix. If you ever wanted a bigger example of an accomplishment that was not because of the shoulder or because of the sole coaching ability of the head coach, here is a great example. Yeah. Absolutely. His initial instinct to not have adequate amount of players or talented players is to go to the grad transfer market. This guy didn't just get the job this week with early signing coming up and signing day coming up next, you know, next year. This is a guy who just won a national championship that's getting paid at his dream school damn near $8 million. <laughs> this man is lost. You ever been around somebody that's doing something? You just go, man, that guy does not know what the hell he's doing. Yeah. yeah. I think we all knew it throughout the season last year. They had an incredible year, probably the greatest offensive year. But my God, we were right. Yeah. You see that now. In hindsight, we're all geniuses. I mean, it is. My, it's not even Gene Chizik. We got to quit making that comparable. This is this is a whole different level here. The the bad part is like obviously he's had multiple cycles to to build that depth. So him giving the grad LSU. transfer, yeah, exactly. You have so much talent in state in Louisiana and no other. You got to school yeah. to not mess to not get that talent. That's the difference. Auburn had a little bit at that time of an uphill battle recruiting wise. They were doing okay after Tupperville left. They were doing okay after the Cam stuff in 2010, winning the Natty. But their implosion was way different than this. This is LSU where it's an established solo hotbed, and you have to try to mess up the way he is doing recruiting. And to think that it's, ah, whatever, we'll just go to the, you know, the transfer portal and we'll get what we want from there because we don't want to try for the rest. I just, I'm blown away. I don't know if you remember Kansas State like 10, 15 years ago. But they had they had probably like a decade in a row where they their entire recruiting classes was all JUCO guys. <laughs> like every every single cycle, it was a running joke. How many JUCO guys did Kansas State take this year? So we may see a little bit of that with LSU trying to trying to get the quick fix in. But I I just don't think that that's going to work. It really didn't work for Kansas State a whole lot back then. It did it occasionally. Never works yeah, if you it, want more than six and six success yeah, so there's there's no quick fix so then maybe my favorite part in all of this <laughs> we we had the self-imposed bowl ban stunt that lsu pulled so lsu at three and five and with florida coming up self-imposed a bowl ban for this season because of the ncaa investigations you know, if the NCAA had any cojones, they would step up and tell them no we're not accepting this and that's it because Can you imagine being one of the investigators? And I would be offended. 
It is. It's it's absolutely it's garbage that that's allowed to happen. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm butthurt over here because I could give two craps. But you got to make an example. Come it's, on. When have they ever told anyone no other than when somebody, I don't know, wants to get a, uh, a grad immediate grad transfer granted or a transfer overall granted, they get denied. Uh, I'm not mad about that. But seriously, hey, we're submitting the paperwork. We're uh, self-imposing a bull van. Denied like parole. No, no, you're not. You're going to wait. You're not doing that right now. You'll do it when we tell you to do it. <laughs> but look, we, we know the NCAA has been investigating LSU. There's the basketball stuff. There's the uh, sexual assault stories that came out not long ago with the football team. And there have been a thousand rumors. Like I said, if I'm, if I'm an investigator or a decision maker in the NCAA and LSU self-imposes a bowl ban when they're about to be three and six, I'd view that as a slap in the face. I, my, my question would be, are you really trying to get yourself out of further punishment by bowing out of a season that none of you even want to be in anyway? No, all they're doing is trying to get this behind them as fast as possible, and they don't care about anything else. They'll deal with it when it comes up. That's it. I guess we'll see if it works. I don't know. You never know with the NCAA. But, <laughs> no, you are exactly right. <laughs> and just as a cherry on top, because there's more somehow, <laughs> the, the Advocate, which is a publication out of Baton Rouge, Mm-hmm. They sent out a story on Wednesday. I don't know if you read it or not, but they talked to some of the players and it outlined how Ed Orgeron basically lost his locker room before the season started. Oh, uh, we hinted at it, but we didn't touch on it. But yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to dive no, to politics here. You're right. Yeah. We're not going to dive like too deep into this, but it is an interesting story from the advocate. If you want to look it up, it started with basically how he handled the team meeting after the, the LSU player protest before the season started. So without getting too deep into, into detail, the players left the meeting feeling like our coach doesn't support us. And so that's when Jamar Chase and Tyler Shelvin and, and some of those guys, I know they had three opt out basically immediately. So it started from there and it has been a flaming dumpster ever since that moment. It's, it's, I think it's worth the read uh, on the advocate because it's sort of like a timeline <laughs> starting from that point, getting to what we have right now, which is, which is uh, something that I think could take multiple years for LSU to get out of. It, it absolutely will. It, it's not. It's going to come in tears, I'm sure. It's not going to be all at once. Yeah. Um, but if you go back to the debut episode of this podcast four seasons ago now, which is amazing to say, and thank you all, our debut episode, that, that cluster of a show, <laughs> we talked about Ed Orgeron recruiting. And how you asked me, well, what is it with that orange run? Everyone always props up and I'll never forget. Oh, he's a player's coach. He can recruit. That's right. He's a player's coach. Well, I think he's not a coach. He is a warm body that has no idea what he's doing with his hands like Ricky Bobby. Yeah, that that player's coach uh, title got thrown out of the window real quick a few months ago. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes for him moving forward. I really don't think I don't think he's going to climb out of this. I don't. Uh, they're they're going to go back to Jerry DiNardo type era. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's going to hurt them for probably four to six years, depending. But the good thing is for LSU fans, they still have a brand. They yeah. still have talent in state and they have a lot of money. And when yeah. you have a lot of money, you can always make something happen. Well, they're they'll bounce back, obviously, just because of the built in advantages. That, How like, many more years like gun to head is he getting? You know, as crazy as it sounds, if this the, with this NCAA stuff. I think the best thing that could happen to LSU is they find a way to fire him with cause now. Like, I think that would be the absolute best thing that could happen to LSU in the long run. 
because they get out of the, the Edo thing and they can go ahead and start over immediately. No different um, than they're already doing or trying to do. Yeah. But they're what they're trying to do right now is start over with him. Yeah. But I would not be shocked because here's the thing I've learned from a successful person that I work for. Uh, if we're thinking about it and who we are in this world, we're, we're not a coach. We're not anything. If we're thinking about it, they thought about it. Oh, it's if you go on the, you know, I'm a nerd. So I like going on the uh, other teams, message boards and stuff like that. Kind of, kind of gauge how other fan bases are viewing things or whatever, you know, kind of where they're at. There's a large section of the LSU base that wants the LSU administration to find a way to fire him with cause, whether it be the sexual assault stuff, whether it be the NCAA stuff, whatever it may be. Like, basically, fire him and use one of those things as an excuse because we know where this is going. The way that you saw Baylor fumble that, and LSU's done a damn good job competing, don't get me wrong, but the way they were able to still bite the bullet and swallow whatever pride those boosters had there in Waco and get rid of Art Bryles. Because let's not forget where that program was when all this came out. Baylor was Baylor. Baylor wasn't this Methodist school yeah. that, you know, you schedule for an easy win. He, he did a good job, but he covered up what he covered up, and he did what he did. LSU has to take that approach. If they want to move forward and get out of this guaranteed buyout and this amount of money and get this behind them, and find that reason. And I won't be shocked. I, I My gut tells me you're more right than you are wrong, that that's something that's been going on. Yeah. it. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it would not shock me at all. No, agree. Um, and the quicker it happens, I think the better for LSU. So I want them to keep him employed, obviously. Sure. But anyways, all right, moving on. The, the, early, the early signing period starts this coming Wednesday, the 16th. Do you, do you remember when we recorded, I can't remember what month it was, maybe May, something like that. We recorded an episode earlier in the year, and we mentioned the teams that were taking a ton of early commitments because of COVID and how they could end up getting burned later in the cycle if, if visits started back. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, visits, that's, ne- that's not going to be a thing this cycle. It, it really, it, it's kind of terrible for you know the senior class. They're not gonna, getting to take their official visits, their five. Yeah. And all that. It is honestly it's sad. But you remember at the time Tennessee was getting a ton of national attention. Absolutely. Because they were getting a new commitment. It was like every fifteen hours they had a yep. new commitment. And they went from like two kids committed to twenty plus mm-hmm. early. And they were sitting at either I can't remember if it was the number one class or number two class. They were the right there at it, yeah. I think it was them and Clemson, yeah. Yeah. And I mean any national sports writer that you could think of, it was like a Tennessee hype fest for yep. For two weeks straight. Yep. So we yep. talked about them being the ones that we thought were set up for disaster if visits started. Well, visits never started, Brad, and they still set themselves up for disaster. So they I'm had shocked. Yeah. They had a top two or three class in, in like May. You have a guess on where they sit now? Seventy fourth. Oh that well, God, it's not that bad. Okay. Uh thirty seconds. <laughs> Hold on, it was 14th last time I checked, but oh, well, come on, well that's a little bit. Well, of they hate. <laughs> they just they just had another decommitment, um, Jay Jones from Alabama. So let me just let me just check real quick while we're while we're on here. I mean, uh, that's almost like where I wish they were, but so okay, so they they are 14th. They just lost their four star in state tight end on Thursday. He's now committed to uh, Ole Miss. Five star linebacker Terrence Lewis. He recently decommitted. They had a top 100 defensive back decommit. They now have one player committed in the top 100 
Far cry Damn. from where they were six or seven months ago. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. shocking. One player in the top 100. Top 100. That is it, absolutely shocking. But I guess to realize that, but at least for once, we got a blank page dang near it over here of things we've ever gotten right. We can add this one to that list. Uh, <laughs> it, pandemic be damned. Tennessee will Tennessee. Yeah. They found a way, man. Yeah. They found a way. And honestly, Jeremy Pruitt probably did the right thing. You remember we were questioning like, hey, is it the right thing to take all of these guys right now? And it yeah. may pay off if if this thing keeps lingering and lingering and then there's no visits. Well, you kind of have your your class solidified. <laughs> well, somehow, some way, it still fell apart. Because I mostly I think, <laughs> yeah, because of the on the field. On the field is what did it to him, to be perfectly honest no yeah and he just had a player arrested last week too i think oh uh, yeah that was cornelius bennett's son oh wow i didn't realize that was uh biscuit's son yeah it was uh well, that's what happens yeah. when you let your son go to tennessee well i don't think he had the option of you know going to alabama but he didn't have the option of going elsewhere many places other than tennessee but you know i regress by the way if if they somehow do the impossible and lose to vanderbilt this week i'm not sure if pruitt is going to survive the season but I'm going to tell you this, too, uh, building on part of that. This may be, at least for me, and I, I'm not as much up to speed nationally as I normally am so this year. This may be the first time going into December, because December is what? I've said it numerous times. December yeah. is the month of hashtag sources. This may be the first time, at least to me, and you tell me if I'm crazy or not, that it seems like there is not a lot of names, hot commodity, high-profile names available for jobs. You know that, like a Tennessee, if they fire him, like a a te- uh, a Texas, like a uh, Michigan. You know those schools, yeah. if they wanted to hire somebody, you don't immediately go, okay, I can think of this guy, this guy, this guy. Yeah, I mean, look, even think about the names that me and you have tossed around for you know as hypotheticals when Saban retires. Those names are out the window right now. Cristobal, they're they're terrible. Uh, Oregon is a bad. Heck of a fall back to earth. Yeah, Pruitt has been awful. As a head coach, nah, I'll eat that crow every time. Uh, the the names that I'm seeing tossed around for like job openings right now, Hugh Freeze. Somebody's going to take a chance on Hugh Freeze. One hundred percent. If you think back two years ago, I thought they would. That's why we asked uh, Phil Steele on that episode. Yeah. You know how I feel about Hugh, Hugh Freeze, fakest man on planet Earth. I agree with you, but at the end of the day, it's all about them W's. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. So somebody's going to overlook all that, and which which whatever, that's fine. And um, our boy's going to be gone. Oh yeah, so Sark. I've seen Sark, his name. Sark yeah. is probably going to be gone. Yeah, I've seen if, Billy Napier's name. Smart, which they are beyond smart. Pay him. I saw. I think it was our buddy Tony say this. Pay this man three million dollars right now. Mm-hmm. Put the head coach and waiting tag on him, and let's move on. Let's the put ol- all this to bed. The because- only problem, the only problem that I'd have with that is the recruiting restrictions. So you have the same recruiting restrictions if you if you get the official label as head coach and waiting. You have the same restrictions as the head coach. Okay, well, see, that's my ignorance not knowing that. So I'll go ahead and say there is a way Alabama would absolutely make it work, but in a way it's known as head coach waiting behind the scenes. I think that if you're going to do that, just make it a handshake agreement. Because somebody's going to be the first assistant to make $3 million. There's already an assistant making two. I think it's Venables, and he's worth every dollar. And Um, that's another guy, too, I fully believe at some point is going to venture out. God, you would think. Year by year before, I mean, hell, they're one of their two or five offensive coordinators they had took the UCF job after Charlie Strong. So, yeah. but mm. go ahead and go all in. What what's it going to hurt? Make yeah. that statement. 
I I'm, a, I'm okay with I, it. I never envisioned ever. I was one of the only ones that in our circle calling and happy for Sark being back. I, I'll say I was going against the green. I didn't think it'd be this. God love him. He is our <laughs> stepfather, and he is the greatest person ever, other than our current father, the head coach. He, uh, uh, he's been money, man. Every every facet of of the job too, not even just on the field. I mean, the guy recruiting everything, game yeah. planning, scheming. It's just yes, it's absurd. The guy convinced Bryce Young to move from California to Alabama. The, well, the I mean, best still quarterback prospect in the country. No. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, right. I mean, I'm just saying, like, he convinced a kid to move across the country to come play in an offense for him. Pay Sark whatever, whatever. Yeah, we can't lose that position. So, yeah. But okay. Anyways, I do want to say before we go, the Alabama Mississippi All Star practices have been this week, and a guy I don't think we've never even mentioned him on this show is Anquin Barnes. He is a three star defensive tackle for Montgomery. He is the 532nd ranked player in the country, and he is the second lowest ranked player in Alabama's class. That might change soon because he has been a, as impressive as anyone during practice week, Brad. And this is really his first time being seen by the recruiting guys in a, in a live setting. And I, I did not expect to see him move like he did in a lot of the clips I've watched. And I guess one day that I will learn, uh, Nick Saban is, he's pretty good at the whole evaluation thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many times we got to keep saying that, but it, it, it is just incredible. And we're talking somebody that plays in the trenches too for Alabama, potentially at, at Alabama in now's error of Nick Saban, and he's the second lowest commit. I mean, if that's not the epitome of a diamond in the rough that he got on early, I don't know what is. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to pull up his uh, his recruiting profile. Okay, so he plays for Lee. Like I said, 532nd. He's the 16th-ranked player in Alabama. So he has Alabama-Auburn offers. Florida, looks like Florida offered him to... I thought that his offer list wouldn't look as good as it does, honestly, but it, it looks pretty good. I guarantee you it was a lot of people falling in line, though. Oh, yeah, after the after the Alabama commitment. Exactly. Sure. Or after the Alabama offer. Honestly, probably. we could be great recruiters. All we got to do is just wait until somebody gets an offer from Alabama and come on in. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I, honestly, is that a bad evaluation method? No, it is the per- – you, you do less work. They're below 100 in the country, and they get an offer from Alabama early. You better go in that house. Yeah. I mean, I fired if not. Yeah, I don't disagree. So I don't know how his ranking will change or how his career at at Alabama will go, but I'll just say I'm a lot more optimistic about Barnes than I was (laughs) probably this time last week. So uh, before we leave, please tell me that you saw the Nate Oates quote on Coach K. Well, I don't know who Nate Oates is, but I I saw uh, Nate Goats out here uh, (laughs) take a shot at uh, the proverbial goat in college basketball because, look, how can you be that rich and act that poor? So Coach K, for anyone who ha- has not seen, Coach K is suddenly questioning if basketball should be played right now, which, hey, I sent this out. If someone has those questions and and they're being legitimate about it, they're being sincere about it, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that question being asked, and I get it. We are in uncertain times. But the timing in those questions from Coach K is suspicious to say the least. Duke has not looked like Duke. Or I guess yeah. they have they have looked like Duke. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're they're questions, but they only come out at this part of the season now, as you're alluding yes. to. Go yeah. figure. Mm-hmm. They dropped two games, 
and all of a sudden he's asking if we should be playing. And so Nate Oates was asked about it over here. Like Ed O shout out. (laughs) Yeah. So Nate Oates was asked about that. And his quote was, uh, do you think coach K would be saying that if he hadn't lost those two non-conference games at home? I hope Nate Oates pans out is all I can say. Cause (laughs) look, buddy, this is not the same fog comparison we've been giving it. Uh, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Because if you don't remember, you, you remember it. You got it tattooed on your back. I've seen it. Nick Saban's introductory press conference when he was hired. Yeah. There's a team within the state that we're going to work hard every day for 365 days a year to, to beat. Okay. So this guy's coming up, setting that fire. He knows what the repercussions are, especially in today's world. When you say something like that, where it's going to go and what's going to happen. Yeah. And our buddy Fred Siegel exists with old take exposed for a reason. You know what this reminds me of? What's that? This is such a Lane Kiffin. Dude, I knew you were going to say his name. It is. And God love him. That's probably why I fall in love with him more. (laughs) But see, I'm okay with that because Alabama basketball can use a Lane Kiffin. Alabama basketball can use any type of the attention like they're getting now. Yeah. Maybe Coach K had a change of heart. And if he's sincerely concerned, I'm more than okay with that. But before the season started, (laughs) he was quoted as saying that they cannot afford to not play another NCAA tournament for money reasons. His quote was, we need to have the tournament. We can't have it where two years in a row you don't have the NCAA tournament, end quote. So, yeah, people are going to question your sincerity when just four months ago, money was the main concern. And health concerns were nowhere to be found in that quote. I'm shocked a head coach of a school not performing up to par is being hypocritical. That's never happened. So yeah. we've, ta- uh, we've talked about it before. Nate Oates is not shy. So I love it. I, I hope he continues doing it. So. He he doesn't have an issue being brash, but we've said this before. If he does not win after that, not good. Well, we'll see how the cards play itself out. Um, <laughs> last thing, we got a game this weekend. I don't know if you're aware. Yeah, so do you have anything this weekend? Like, what are you looking for in Arkansas? Because all I'm looking for is win, stay healthy, stay healthy, and leave. I'm looking for this. Honestly, to me, think about this. This is the first time – head coach, first-year head coach in Sam Pittman at Arkansas. He's doing a great job, by the way. Dude, I would vote for him for coach of the year in the SEC. I, Honest to God, I know I've been on record crying about Nick Saban not ever getting coaching of the year awards for what he does. To me, Sam Pittman comes into Arkansas in this, just the, a level that that school has been at, and he's never been a head coach before, and he comes out, and he is not scared. He gets them out there. They play hard. Dude, props to him. He's done a hell of a job in his first year. And he was on record this week saying that if he had a vote for Heisman, he'd give it to the entire offensive line of Alabama. So that's an O-line coach we've ever heard it. Well, they're going to have to split it with Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Najee. <laughs> yeah, can we just go ahead and give me partial credit for Najee Heisman prediction? So, I mean, hey, man. At this point. But anyways, I think Alabama covers. Uh, same thing. Same thing as you. I hope they get in and get out. Uh, let's play a healthy game, move on to Florida, and uh, let's talk some Scientology next week. <laughs> the only thing that concerns me is 11 a.m. kickoff. You know. Uh, uh, straight after an emotional win, you it's know, re- revenge a, game. I'm going to tell you right um, now, I'm going to go on record. It's going to be a slow, ugly start in the first yeah. half, come out second half, play normal. Yeah, and it's before the SEC championship, so we'll see. I mean, the offense really hasn't given us any reason to think that they're, they're not going to come out firing. If it was ever going to happen, this is the weekend for that to well, happen. To me, this game more than any other this year, what happens with the ones, mm-hmm. that tells me more than anything, how they yeah. handle this. 
I agree because this would this would be such an easy game to just come out and be exactly you know and feel like you it. have it wrapped up and we're be guilty. Done. We're human, but they do it. They're guilty. So yeah, yeah, it happens. Well, so let's see. All right. well, win, stay healthy, leave, start preparing for Florida. But okay, so this has been the Roll Bama Roll podcast. Roll Tide.